Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. This is a week where we have a lot of Washington State University influence and a couple different guests. Today's someone Cougars fans are going to know quite well. The number two pick in the 98 NFL draft was a Heisman finalist, Ryan Leaf. Ryan, nice to connect again. It's been a while since we've chatted, but Hopefully life is well for you in Southern California. Well, you know, it's as good as can be expected. Uh, you know, 2020, you know, really sent a lot of people in in different directions on, on how they're coping with a, a worldwide pandemic. It's a first in my lifetime, of course, for most people. So you've had to figure out different ways to to deal with it in a healthy, positive way. But uh, yeah, I feel, feel grateful for today, uh, for the opportunity to chat with you, uh, reconnect. You know, you've got, uh, we talked briefly off air before we began recording, uh, you've got a lot of different things going on in the works. And I think uh, one of the things that it quickly struck me was you go out and you speak to a number of different groups uh, across the country on mental health, as well as some of the, uh, the addictions that you have been very open with and candid in the past about. How has your message changed due to COVID and what have you seen with the message that you share with people in COVID, because I'm sure that message is as important now as it has ever been. Well, it was kind of a, just a big part of the recovery piece. Uh, you know, making you know when when you're when you hit a fork in the road, the challenges of, of you know, choosing the next right thing or the positive and healthy choice. And I don't think it could be more of an important message right now that you in a world that's taken so much control away from us in 2020 with the pandemic and everything else, like you have a choice now uh, to really choose a positive path. Uh, you can choose to be in a positive mood. You can choose to do the next right thing and not, you know, go negative, not be toxic, which is easier. It's easier to be judgmental and fearful and angry and all of that stuff. So this, this is an opportunity. So that's kind of been a message that I've talked about in my recovery when I speak, but now, you know, with where we are in the state of the world, it's even more important that people hear it because it's rather simple. We just make it incredibly complicated. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about the football career and different experiences in the NFL, as well as, um, you know, at Washington state. But a lot of what I was thinking about when you were talking and uh, answering that last question was, the circumstances that you're in and the support system, and you're trying to be a support system and provide opportunities for people to get out of circumstances now. How, how often do you think athletes are put in a negative environment where they don't have the support system 
to truly reach their potential? It's it's kind of a, a you know a double-edged sword there, right? I mean, I think athletes are placed in really good positions all the time to be successful. It's just a matter of what you channel and what you do with that, how you interpret it, how talented you are, how high that pedestal rises, you know, how entitled you become. Um, you know, guys that, that develop chips on their shoulders, work harder, you know, suck up everything and anything that anybody gives them. You know, when I was in high school, you know, my dad would drive me to school early so I could get up shots. I had to, you know, make a certain amount of free throws and three pointers before I could go to the first period. There were many a day that I didn't walk into first period until like 30 minutes late, you know, it's, it's what you choose to do. And I think that message that you, you know, that I just talked about is you choose how to deal with something. Like if you're in a positive situation and you choose not to, you know, you take that for granted, you know, it can backfire on you vice versa. If you're in a, a negative situation and you choose to, uh, you know, uh, go about it in a positive way. Like uh, life isn't fair, right? It, and we're seeing that right now. Life is incredibly not fair. It's it's all about how you deal with it that matters. And these seem like such simple concepts. But like I said, as human beings, we just tend to make things more complicated than they need to be. How many speaking engagements do you typically have throughout the course of the year? And if anybody listening uh, to this podcast uh, is interested in having you be a part of a, of an event or come speak, how would they go about finding information? Well, we, you know, we try to limit uh, travel. I have a new three-year-old boy. So, I mean, but we did in 2019, we did 35 and then we were on pace to break that in 2020. Um, but of course, everything got shut down because of COVID and I haven't traveled since March 11th. Um, some of the clients have wanted to do virtual events, but I just, you know, I, I don't I'll eventually, uh, of course, if people need it, I'll do it. But I just think my story is, is, is better presented in person, uh, more relatable, palpable in the room. So we've kind of limited ourselves from doing that. Um, but, uh, you can, you can go to my website at, at uh, the Ryan that's a way for you to reach out and, and book me to speak at your event. I speak at churches. I speak at high schools and middle schools to Fortune 500 companies, to pharmaceutical companies and their sales events. I mean, it's not only is it, you know, it's there's there's some inspiration there, but it's it's people can relate to it. It just my story just happened to be very public, but everybody goes through the same thing because we're all the same. You know, we're all these flawed human beings trying to be better every single day. And I think that. I think that comes through in the message. And uh, I really, I'm really incredibly grateful to be able to share my story because my mentor told me that, you know, once you find this peace and this, this serenity, uh, the only way to keep it is to give it away. And at first that didn't make sense to me. It certainly does now. You mentioned uh, kind of your dad being an influence athletically for you in high school, uh, SB live sports. Um, we have a big presence at the high school level. You were obviously a, a big-time player out of the state of Montana, and there aren't very many big-time players that come out of the state of Montana for a lack of size of population or for opportunities. What do you remember most about either Friday night lights in Montana or basketball games growing up in high school in Montana? Well, I think my coaches. like I had a quarterback coach who was a standout athlete, 
at, at my high school, CM Russell High School. And he was my quarterback coach and a kind of essentially offensive coordinator. And I, he taught me how to, how to play the quarterback position. My dad was a quarterback too, but my dad really didn't, he just supported me. He didn't, you know, he wasn't overbearing and coaching or anything like that. He just, he liked traveling to the games and watching his son play and be successful. So I think that, you know, there was two coaches that, that offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, his name was Sparky Cocky. And then my senior year, uh, we had a change at the, uh, at the coaching position uh, for basketball. And we had a, uh, a successful young coach come from a really small school uh, and got the head coaching job with us. And it just opened my eyes to how much I love basketball and how much I got to experience it with him. And, uh, um, and he, he, him till this day is still uh, a father figure mentor of mine because he, he accepted me for who I was. I think a lot of people in Montana saw me as uh, kind of a kid with a bad attitude because I was a, maybe a little ahead of my time. You know, Jalen Rose was my hero. Uh, not Larry Bird, you know, that, that just, it, that wasn't the same thing. I was a big, tall point guard or a guy who could handle the ball and who could also dunk. And, and I wanted the black socks and the baggy shorts, like the fab five. So I didn't necessarily fit in here, but my coach, uh, Mike McLean, when he got the job, he just, he accepted me in warts and all. And we had a real successful year. We, I think we finished uh, third or fourth that year, uh, in the state. And then when I got to Washington state, um, you know, I made it very clear to Coach Price that I wanted to play basketball as well. And Coach Eastman had just started there. So I got an opportunity my freshman year. I figured out pretty quickly that, you know, for how much I love basketball, I wasn't I wasn't talented enough to play against the likes of the O'Bannon brothers and J.R. Henderson and those guys, Toby Bailey, who would win the national championship my freshman year. I love how you mentioned the high school coach that you had came in, was a breath of fresh air and, and was kind of a mentor. Very similar to me. My high school coach, my last three years, uh, is one of my closest friends now. Uh, his oldest boy kind of mentors and coaches my sons in some different things. They become great family friends. And it's cool to see how that kind of comes full circle with, with high school coaches to their different athletes. I've seen those, some of those high school basketball videos of you. Um, and you mentioned it was kind of a love of yours. Besides playing football at Wazoo, and you had a tremendous career, and we'll touch on that, and trying to, to play a little bit there, did you have any interest in maybe playing college basketball at a lower level instead of football because of yeah, the, the game? Yeah, there was a couple, uh, um, you know, smaller schools here in Montana. Northern, which was a uh, Montana State, like satellite school. Uh, that was real interested in basketball, you know, me playing basketball. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know how vested uh, either Montana or Montana State were in me playing basketball. That They had heard pretty clearly that I wasn't interested in playing football at either one of those schools. So that kind of, I, I don't know if they extended any invitations, but I made it very clear to every um um, football coach when I went on my visits like you know I, I want to play basketball and I probably want to take a shot at playing some baseball too um, so those have to be avenues for me and in most if, if the football recruiting coach wanted that wanted you to be there you know he was going to say whatever he had to say um, Kelvin Sampson had just left Washington State to go to Oklahoma that was an opportunity um, but you know ultimately Mike, Mike Price who was the head coach he just he just knew that football was the way for me to go. And if I didn't, if I didn't 
like the idea of playing for a division one school. Like that was the end all be all for me to get a division one scholarship and get to play on TV and stuff like that. I, I, you know, there's a very good chance I would have went to a smaller university to play basketball really. So you mentioned your basketball kind of role model was Jalen Rose, as opposed to a Larry Bird. What about football? Who was the guy that you looked up to or maybe patterned your game after on the, on the gridiron? Well, it was, it was certainly early on when I was a kid, it was Terry Bradshaw, uh, you know, prototypical drop back passer, tough, made big plays, played for my favorite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he was initially, and then, you know, John Elway started creeping into the mix, uh, in terms of, um, of somebody I, I idolized. And then ironically enough, Drew Bledsoe, you know, he, he, right at the end of high school, he was, he was the guy in college and got drafted number one overall by the new England Patriots. And I had a chance to go to his school and learn from the same coach. So those were kind of the three, three mentors or guys I looked up to, uh, when I was trying to emulate, you know, who I wanted to be when I wanted to play quarterback, those were the guys. So you mentioned Drew Bledsoe, a great quarterback from Washington State. Mark Rippon's a friend of mine here in the Spokane area. I'm sure you've met Rip on many occasions. They're both tremendous golfers, and there's almost kind of that connection, hand-eye coordination, quarterbacking to golf. You play a little bit, I can tell by the uh, by the background with the golf bag there. Uh, how often do you get to play? How good are you? And would you beat Rippon today? Okay, so yeah, Rip, Rip and Drew and I, uh, we go way back. In fact, let me tilt this camera up just a little bit. There are the three of us right there on that picture behind my my shoulder. Um, it, I play Drew quite a bit. We play play a bunch. Uh, Rip's pretty darn good. Um, we have only played in scrambles. We've never played head to head. Um, the pandemic allowed me to really buckle down nothing else you can do in LA they shut the whole city sure. down golf was maybe the only thing I my I got my index down to 1.9 I shot a 68 with eight birdies uh this summer wow so I I'm playing pretty well I think I could I think I could you know take those two right now the way I'm playing well I I can definitely say this I appreciate you throwing that number out there before you and I ever get a chance to tee it up together because uh, <laughs> I will not give you any strokes after hearing that uh, I see Mark occasionally at the course up here and he can still hit it a mile he can still putt with the best of them but I don't know if he's hanging with anybody that's knocking down eight birdies in a round that's for sure well I'm, it's my club you know so who knows when I go to a different track me and some of my wazoo buddies are gonna go play some golf first weekend of March uh, in Phoenix. So I'll, I'll get to see if my, if my index travels very well, we'll find out. So let's stay on the topic of Wazoo. Um, you had a tremendous run there three years. You, you kind of tore the, through the record books. You had a number of phenomenal games. Uh, you're a finalist for the Heisman trophy. Uh, you guys play in a Rose bowl in 98 for the first time. I believe it was in, in about 60 years or so. What was your favorite memory of your time in Pullman? Um, there's so many, my teammates for one, I mean, we had a, a very senior laden team that, that junior year of mine where we won the championship. Yeah, but those, those teammates, you know, I just, I just told you, I'm, me and a couple, you know, Cougar teammates are going to go play some golf, you know, 20, 25 years later. So that's what's, what's really special. The moments, um, you know, beating Washington in the Apple Cup to go to the Rose Bowl in their stadium, that 
and I was like unconscious in that game. It was just like, it was destined to happen. It was supposed to be, and it was so much fun. The, the fans flooded the stadium, you know, crimson everywhere where they're supposed to be purple. I mean, that what a way to end your career. Uh, that just, that will always stick in my mind as one of the coolest things I ever got to experience. Um, it was close enough to home. My family really got to be a part of that, you know, got to be a part of, um, of my time in college, you know, it was, you know, far enough away where I felt independent, but it was close enough to, to be where family could be next to me if I needed them. Want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay, whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for as the original sneaker marketplace. eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. So growing up in uh, Montana, we kind of touched on some of that. You get to Wazoo, as we mentioned, you had a tremendous career. You're at the Heisman Trophy Award ceremonies. And, yep. you know, if I remember correctly, because I'm a little bit younger than you, all the buzz was Peyton Manning was going to win it, and rightfully yep. so, based on his numbers. Very similar to my senior year. I was a Wooden Award All-American. I was one of five guys to go down to, to L.A. for the week and spend time with Coach Wooden, and Jay Williams was going to run away with the award. Everybody knew it. But at the same time, you try to soak it in and enjoy it. What was the Heisman festivities like for you? It was wonderful, right? Uh, you know, it's dream come true. Uh, not only to be mentioned in the same breath as the Heisman Trophy, but also with Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, and Randy Moss, who are now all Pro Football Hall of Famers after – uh, last week's inductions. Um, and then I got to represent Washington State. There's never been a football player who got to be a finalist from Washington State. Never has, never has been since. So not only did I get to go and represent Washington State, Mike Price got to come along. Uh, I got to talk about my teammates, all the offensive linemen, all my um, uh, wide receivers and running backs, tight ends who, who made it possible. You know, as a quarterback, you get a ton of the credit. Um, but I'm nothing. I am absolutely nothing in that team without everybody else being a part of it and the support they gave. So that was what the cool opportunity was. And the best part of it all was I got to bring my dad. And he, I always think my dad is so much older, but he was like 48. So that means like four years older than me right now. And he got to meet all his heroes. Uh, all the former winners are there. The four horsemen from Notre Dame, uh, Johnny Rogers, Tony Dorsett, Archie Griffith, all those guys, right? And my dad got to meet them all. And I knew I wasn't going to win. Like, I knew it. So I, I didn't have any expectation. 
And there was such, such a surprise when Charles won. Don't get me wrong. I would have loved to have the award and been a Heisman Trophy winner, but he had to stick around, do autographs, press. Peyton and his family, I, I heard, had rented out a, a restaurant and they had to go and, you know, I guess not celebrate. And then, and Randy was just, Randy was a mess. He, he had like an anxiety attack and he wouldn't take his glasses off through the whole show. He was really uncomfortable. So I just enjoyed every minute of it. Me and coach price went to Saturday night live afterwards. And we saw Jack Nicholson hosting, hosting the show. Then from there, we went to a bar where all the old winners and Chris Fowler and, and, and uh, the other hosts were there and I'm bartending at this bar called the town crier. And I look back in the corner and there's John leaf just yucking it up with all the former winners. But then I look back like an hour later and he's gone, like he's gone. So I, I'm looking around for him and nowhere to be found, no cell phones, you know, so can't track him down. So I just, I, okay, I got to get back to the downtown athletic club. And I walk in the old downtown athletic club before nine 11. So it still is there. And there's all these former winners in the lobby around the piano and they're all singing karaoke. So they're just all singing songs and like right in the middle of them is john leaf just belting out having a blast um coolest thing coolest thing that sports has ever given me was that night and seeing what what it got to what my dad got to go through, you know be a part of that is a that is a cool story that's awesome to hear you get to share it with him that night most people don't understand and realize the second you're done as a college athlete and you become a pro expectations are out the are, are much different uh, uh the asks are much different from people and it's been well documented and it's been talked about in a number of different ways that that maybe you didn't handle it as well as looking back you wish you handled it that's a sweet way to say it yeah maybe <laughs> well I'm, I'm trying to you know i'm trying to walk my Come way on. through this hey you're one of our you're one of our believe in the you're one of the believe podcast network hosts you got to Got to dive right in there, Dan. All right, let's bring it then. So you weren't as friendly with the media and you didn't have the reputation of being as successful as you probably hoped to be right off the bat. What's yeah, your biggest regret early on in your career? Because I know I have some as an athlete as well. Well, I certainly wouldn't be the man I am now if I hadn't gone through everything I did. So it's kind of hard to to really hold up and hold on to regrets. I would say the biggest regret is I didn't treat people better because, you know, I, I could have still been a bad player and not been successful and uh, not treated people so poorly. I think that's, I think that's the biggest regret I have, but yeah, I just was, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared to fail. Um, my defects of character were going to be on full display um, for the world to see. I didn't understand the mag magnitude of the microscope that was coming. You can hide in Great Falls, Montana. You can hide in Pullman, Washington. Uh, in fact, your your stellar play will usually overshadow poor behavior. And uh, and I had never really failed. You know, I've won championships my whole life. So why wouldn't I do it now? You know, it was relatively easy in college. I shouldn't say that. I worked my tail off, but it was that final year. It was relatively easy. We kind of carved through the Pac-10. Uh, and what I was able to do offensively, you know, I led the nation in passing. I just found that out, by the way, the other day. Ironically, I didn't know that. Um, so when I got to the NFL and, and I started to struggle and uh, and I was being was heavily criticized for the poor play, I did not react well. And it wasn't because I was a bad player. It was because of how I dealt with it. You know, and I mentioned early on in your show here, 
you know, life isn't fair, even for starting NFL quarterbacks. It's how you deal with it that matters. And uh, Peyton Manning, that rookie year, led the, led the league in interceptions. I don't know if I could have dealt with that in any kind of healthy way if I'd have led the NFL in interceptions. He just saw it as a, you know, uh, as failure as an opportunity to do it better the next time. I saw it as you're a winner or you're a loser. I was Ricky Bobby before Ricky Bobby came around, that's for sure. You know, that's uh, that leads me to kind of, kind of have a, then my next question about and get your take on this. Some players are able to translate from college to, to the pros, NFL or NBA without missing a beat and be relied upon as a starter or a leader. But more often than not, I feel as though even if you're a high draft pick, you've got to have a mentor in that position above you to teach you and guide you and, and, and show you the ropes. Um, I didn't necessarily have that. My early part of my career, I had to figure it out on my own. Um, but you as the, as an early, early first round pick and starting, you had to figure it out on your own. Did you have a mentor that really kind of tried to help you? Or did you feel like maybe looking back that, you know what, I didn't have the support structure to walk me through these things I really needed at the time? No, I always had a support structure. I mean, Junior Seau was my teammate and he was the ultimate pro and Rodney Harrison as well. And they befriended me and they tried. They tried. I just, for whatever reason, like, I mean, well, life skills. I, I, had, I had terrible life skills. Being placed on a pedestal for so long and also being rather defensive because, you know, my hometown didn't like me. Uh, I had a bad attitude in their opinion. Um, you know, I watched Kobe Bryant and the Fab Five. Those guys were like my heroes, right? So they were flamboyant. And in Montana, you, that people didn't like that. They didn't like that I was cocky when we won and I put it in people's faces and, and I wasn't very popular. So I just had terrible life skills, you know, and I thought my only way to win was to just be super successful. And I, I thought I was doing it all. So when I got to San Diego and, and uh, things started to go bad, I was like, I got this, you know, I get back into a corner, I fight my way out and I ultimately play well. And everybody forgets that, that I'm kind of a, you know, a, uh, I don't know, a bad kid, you know, um, but that didn't happen at that level. You cannot battle the media, you know, Sunday to Sunday, and then try to battle the best defenses in the world on Sunday. It just, your central nervous system just can't, com can't compute and calculate it all. And, and you don't get a, you don't get much of a second chance. Luckily for me, I, I, I did because I was the second overall pick. I got to bounce around a couple other places and finally figured it out, figured out how to be a professional. But by that point, it was just too late. Injuries, things like that had mounted up. And, and then I'd become, I'd develop, you know, those life skills that I was so bad at um, developed into mental health issues. And I, I had not confronted them ever in my life. And it was about to hit me full blast in the face. Well, you go from kind of handling the media in a way that you had kind of felt comfortable at the time handling the media. And you mentioned it, did, it, it wasn't working and it didn't work for you. And very few professional athletes, it has worked for them in that way. Oddly enough, come full circle, you are a part of the media now. You've been with Pac-12 Networks. You've been with ESPN, calling games as an analyst. You're now hosting your own podcast. Uh, you're about to kick off a YouTube show. Um, how do you view your role in media in allowing athletes to tell their story, being true to themselves, but then also having the ability through your experiences 
making sure maybe if it's the right time to teach them some of the things that you went through so they don't go through it as well. Right. You know, I never want to, I never want to feel like I'm trying to preach or teach to anybody. I just, I just tell my story, what they, what they do with it is entirely up to them. I can't control what, what they do with it, but um, being in the media now, I think there's, there's some, some bit of karma to that. Like, you know, Hey, you know, if I get, uh, get some, get some uh, attitude from a, you know, a player and stuff, it, it makes sense. You know, I, I understand that, but my hope is just to, to tell stories, be um, not super critical, but just be an analyst. You know, I love the sport of football. I love the sport of basketball. I, I love the sport of baseball. You know, I, you know, I love being able to analyze all those things and talk about sports because I really do think that sports shows um, essentially bring us all together because sports does that sports brings us all together but then it allows us to have open and honest conversations about life and experience and all that stuff. So that's, that's, what, that's a little different from what my show will be. I think uh, it might be a little more in the vein of the Rich Eisen show. Uh, you know, he, he's able to kind of bounce back before, forth between life and entertainment and sports. And it just kind of all comes together. That's kind of the feel I want. Uh, and that's the kind of person, um, you know, I feel like I have a voice uh, and a platform that if, uh, I don't use it. It would be uh, it would be a detriment to those out there who maybe still struggle and and need to hear that there's a solution. And especially from somebody like me, who you know, if I can do this, you know, um, anybody can. Well, I look forward. I look forward to uh, checking out that YouTube show when it kicks off. I believe you said March first. Um, staying on the topic of Washington State. How closely do you follow the Cougars now? I know they just uh, finished their first season under uh, Coach Rolovich. Do you stay closely connected to the program? Do you how closely do you follow them? I I, I did, uh, you know, and then I you know then I you know my life you know erupted into chaos, and I can fully understand how somebody would do this. But when Bill Moose took over there, uh, I think I think it was pretty much mandated that you know let's. Let's keep Ryan, uh, Ryan as far away from the program as, as possible. Just, you know, hey, you know, you're, you're fundraising, it's optics. You know, I was, you know, I was bad for the brand. I get it. Um, there was some resentment there because guess what? I needed my family too. That would have, that's what I needed too. And, uh, but when Pat Chun got the job uh, as athletic director, things shifted and, um, he's really adamant about the past leading the future. And, and that was a big part of it. In fact, I mean, a year after Pat Chun had taken over, I was inducted into the hall of fame, you know, and I, I'm grateful that it happened when it did, because, you know, I think the man, um, the player always deserved it, but the, I don't think the man truly did. And when he finally did, I got that opportunity. So I got to, do that. My son was there with me on that day in Pullman. Um, and then when, when Mike Leach left, uh, you know, I got a call from Pat and he was, he was interested in what I thought about where the next head coaching, uh, where the head coaching search should go. And I, you know, Nick Rolovich was, was, uh, near the top of my list. Brian Harson was a name I used, uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And, you know, look at this, all three of them are, are, I've got great jobs. Harson's down at Auburn, you know, Sarkeesian's at Texas and now Nick Rolovich is at, at Washington state. So, you know, I think Pat Chun has done a tremendous job 
in his hiring with Kyle Smith uh, on the basketball court, as well as on the other side, on the women's basketball side of baseball. You know, you hope that athletic directors aren't making a lot of hiring uh, decisions because teams are doing well and everything like that. But, you know, he's been I feel like he's been spot on uh, in doing that for Washington State. And I try to be as close as I can with them um, when they ask. Well, I love that insight. And I do know because I've got a, a number of friends that are Cougs. Uh, they say it is a tight knit group, a family atmosphere, and they're always pulling for each other. And so uh, that, that explains a lot with your answer. And I will agree that the coaches that they've brought on recently under Pat Chun have been great hires. So Ryan, I appreciate the time. I know uh, you get a lot of media requests here and there, but I really do appreciate the time. And again, I look forward to checking out uh, your new YouTube show coming out March 1st, as well as uh, continued occasional listens uh, to your podcast. So thanks again. You bet, bud. You have a wonderful day, and uh, uh, if you need anything ever, let me know. Well, it might be a, a round of golf at some point. Uh, you, me, Rip, and Bledsoe, if we can get it done at some point. Woo! That's a that's a that's a that's a that's a foursome. We got to sell that to some. We got to got to sell that foursome to somebody. You know. Well, let's do it. Let's keep that in mind. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, brother. All right. Thanks again. Have a you good day. Down. Yep. Bye. Take care, bud. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.